good to be in the house of God, amen? Amen. Hey, by way of that Franklin Graham Decision America tour, really want to encourage you also, if you would like to, or if you feel inspired to, or maybe even if you would just be inclined to, uh, become an altar worker at every one of the meetings where literally thousands of people are giving their hearts to the Lord, there aren't enough children's workers. Our junior hires are being excused right now. Come on, junior hires, you're on your way out. I'll have to razz Pastor Dan about that because he always tries to remind me, hey, don't forget to uh, release the junior hires, man. <laughs> anyway, he was here and he could have done that. So an opportunity for you to be a part of the altar team, the prayer team, and those that are going to be ministering to those responding to the gospel. There are a couple of trainings coming up, and those training dates are listed inside the bulletin. I didn't bring my bulletin up here, but they're this month, I believe, on the 19th and maybe the 21st. It's on the screen. There we go, 19th and 21st. Good. And uh, you'll want to be a part of that. It's mandatory training to be a part of the altar team, and we would love to have a bunch of our Hillside family engaged and ministering to those responding. Uh, it's going to be a great opportunity. Again, an invitation. John, uh, Dan referenced John chapter 1, and in John chapter 1, it's, it really is a fascinating story of the power of a personal testimony. John himself, John the Baptist says, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And the scripture says that his two disciples that were with him left John that day and went and spent the day with Jesus. And one of those guys that spent the day with Jesus went and found his brother. And he said to his brother, hey, you should come and meet Jesus, the Messiah. And so he brings his brother. Another, uh, Philip says to Nathaniel, come and meet the one whom Moses and all of the prophets spoke about. So he was referencing, he says, look, the one in whom the scripture declares is Messiah. I've been with him. And Nathaniel says, who? And he says, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel, a good Jewish brother, says, wait, Nazareth? In his mind, knowing that Messiah comes from Bethlehem, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And all the Nazarites said, Wait, what? <laughs> because he also knew that there was only one that was good, and that was Messiah. And he said, can Messiah come from Nazareth? Philip's like, I don't have a good theological answer to this. Has anybody, when you've talked to someone about your faith, they ask a question and you say, I don't have the answer to that. I don't know. And it creates a timidity in us. Because of fear, they're going to ask questions I don't have answers to. Here's the beauty. Philip gives us the answer. He says, I don't know. Come and see. Come and see. And Nathaniel, because of relationship, comes. And as he's approaching, Jesus sees Nathaniel and says, here comes an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel says, you don't even know me. And then Jesus says, I saw you this morning beneath the tree. And Nathaniel declares, 
my Lord, my God, you are Messiah, son of David. Now, I don't know what Nathaniel may have been doing earlier that day. I have a sneaky suspicion, though the text doesn't tell us, and this is purely conjecture, but I believe that he was there praying, speaking to the Father, speaking to God, talking. And only God and Nathaniel knew that. And so when Jesus said, I saw you, this morning, it was because Jesus had been with the Father, and the Father had revealed it to Jesus, and so Jesus declared it to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel declares his Messiahship. And here's the beauty, folks. It's you and me. We get to invite our family and friends. We don't have all the answers. Can I get a, I know, <laughs> right? We, uh, we, don't have, we don't have the answers. People have legitimate questions. Let's let Jesus reveal Jesus to them. Amen? We just do our part. Let's make those invitations. Well, that was a Three-minute commercial. All right. Franklin Graham's coming, guys. Let's be a part of that. Uh, how, many of you, how many of you are watching FIFA soccer? How many of you have your TVs on DVR right now and you want to see the final game when you get home and not know the results? If you don't want to know the results, plug your ears because, well, like they say in, were you guys, not, neither one of you, oh, Germany, sorry, it's not Germany, uh, and it's not Italy, right, it's Viva la France. <laughs> France lives, and it's 4-2. There you go. All right. Uh, so all you who are watching that. And maybe you're a Wimbledon person, right? My two guys in Wimbledon. Any tennis players out here? I'm a wannabe tennis player, right? Uh, well, my two guys, Federer and Nadal, uh, both got knocked out. So I, uh, Djokovic, I hope he doesn't win. Anyway, uh, so tennis, Wimbledon, all that stuff. Okay, enough of, enough of uh, sports. Uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 26. As we navigate through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we are in Exodus chapter 26. And as I've said before, as we looked at the law in chapter 20, we were, we were in chapter 20 for four weeks. And then we went into chapters 21 through 23, and it's, it really is the promises of the covenant. We looked at it in the, by way of a marriage. It really is the vows of the marriage. And it's not necessarily exciting stuff because it talks about the oxen and if your oxen gets loose and it gores someone, et cetera, et cetera. And we're thinking, how does this apply to my life? But to recognize that we have a God that is a covenant-making God and he makes covenant with his people. And we are in a covenant relationship with God the Father. And We've moved into now chapters 25 through 40, and in chapters 25 through 40, we're really discussing the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And of all the subject matters in the scripture, this is the most, sub, this is the most talked about subject in all of the text except for Jesus himself. Except for Jesus Christ himself, the tabernacle is the most talked about and the most written about in all of the text. Over 40 chapters in totality. And the next, out of the next 15, 13 of them are specifically about the tabernacle. And we read some of the details in the text and we're like, i got to hurry up through this material because it's like, I, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't get it. And there's a lot of symbolism here. Numbers. And it doesn't all make sense. And so my hope is for each of us that we would recognize really what the tabernacle is about. If the Word of God contains some 40 chapters in its totality talking about it, it certainly is something that's important to God. 
And if it's important to God, it should be important to us, me. What does it mean to me? What do these symbols mean to me? And I would submit to you, just as we've seen portraits of Messiah from our time in Exodus 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25, we are going to see this picture or this type of Christ manifest and pointing to Messiah's first advent, Christ's first advent, that birth in the manger, and then his 30 years, 33 years of life and his three years of public ministry. All of these things are pointing toward and pointing toward and giving us a picture of even some greater future events. And so it should inspire us on one hand and it should be an encouragement in many regards of our lives. Certainly that it would inspire us to be well-pleasing to the Lord in our living. We cannot compartmentalize our lives, can we? If we compartmentalize our lives, there will be times where we'll say, well, I need to put on my Christian self, and but other times I may have certain liberties that I feel like I can exercise. We ought not be doing that. Our faith should be really the 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year living. And so it transcends every area of our life and impacts every decision that we make and so that we would be well-pleasing to the Lord. Because the Word of God is true. And the Word of God is, it has given us future. It's telling us events that are forthcoming. And Christ is returning, and he is returning for his second advent. And that is an event that I believe is nearer uh, than perhaps we might even think. And so let's look at our text today. We'll be looking at chapter 26, verses 1 through 14. So follow along as I read from the New King James Version. It says in verse 1, chapter 26, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen and blue and purple and scarlet thread. With artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain, 4 cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edges of the curtain, on the salvage of the one set, and Likewise, you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops you shall make in the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, and the loops, that the loops may be clasped to one another. You shall make fifty clasps of gold and couple the curtains together with the clasps so that it may be one tabernacle. You shall also make curtains of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits, and the width of each curtain, 4 cubits. And the, 11th, or excuse me, and the 11 curtains shall all have the same measurements. And you shall couple five curtains 
by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And you shall double over the sixth curtain at the front of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the one or of the curtain that is the outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain of the second set. And you shall make 50 bronze clasps. Put the clasps in the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one. The remnant that remains of the curtain of the tent, the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. And the cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of what remains of the length of the curtain of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. You shall make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skins above that. Father, in the next few moments as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, will you speak to our hearts about this construction of the tabernacle and the tent covering over the tabernacle, Lord. And may you help us to bring application in our lives that we might go from this place really transformed or an opportunity for transformation because, God, we've been in your word and there's been, uh, Lord, just an opening of what this text would even reveal to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. Amen. Everybody get that? Everybody have a picture in your mind what this looks like? How about just the cubit? Everybody understand what a cubit might be? There's lots of different thoughts on what a cubit is, but for today's purposes, we'll just assume that it's a foot and a half. It's about 18 inches. It's from the elbow to the tip of the fingers of an average person, and so most would assume it's about 18 inches. And so we look at these, and we can do some mathematics, and we can figure out you know, the size of each of these uh, fine linens that are woven and these linens that are woven with cherubim in them out of the blue and the purple and the scarlet thread. And what all, does these, what all do these things mean? Well, let's, let's look first. It says in verse 1, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains. Tabernacle. Tabernacle comes from a root word in the Hebrew that really means to dwell. The tabernacle is the dwelling place of God. This is the place where God is going to be meeting with man. The, ch- the, the nation of Israel is God's chosen people from Abraham up, and he is now going to reveal how to have fellowship again and be in right standing with God so that fellowship can occur. And it's going to happen in this place known as the tabernacle. And so... God tabernacling with men. And I, I called today's sermon again another portrait of Messiah simply to say and remind us that Christ has come and has tabernacled with man. You know, in John chapter 1, as we've referenced later in chapter 1, those stories of the power of personal testimony, the first part of John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14 tells us who the Word is. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word there is tabernacled amongst us. Christ tabernacled. We beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, Jesus Christ. And so Christ, our dwelling place. And so the tabernacle is a picture of God dwelling with men. Remember Christ's name is Emmanuel also. God with us. God with us. And so the tabernacle itself pointing to Christ. 
We come to the ten curtains of fine woven linen, blue and purple and scarlet thread. Artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. Let's, let's stop for just a moment and recognize the tabernacle building itself is made out of acacia wood and the acacia wood boards that make this building that's literally 45 feet in length, 15 feet high and 15 feet wide. It has two compartments. The first compartment known as the holy place. It is in our vernacular, it's about 30 feet in length, 15 foot ceiling and 15 feet wide. And the second room, which would be the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat are, is a room that is about 15 by 15 by 15. And so this small building, if you will, is acacia wood boards, and they're covered with gold. And now he's giving the description of these this fine linen that will be woven and there'll be coverings over that acacia wood all the way down to the very edge, almost to the floor on either side, 28 cubits. But exposed still would be about one cubit on either side of the gold walls. And if you know anything about woven material, woven material on one side is not something that's very becoming to look at. But on the other side, you see a tapestry, and it is a beautiful tapestry. So what we have from the outside looking in would be, if you could see that tapestry and that fine woven linen of blue and purple and scarlet, it would look like a bunch of strings that are hanging out and not discernible what's there. But it would be for the priests who entered in to the most holy place that they would look up and they would see the cherubim and it's portions of scripture that we would see in the book of Psalms when the psalmist would say, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. It's that picture of looking up in the tabernacle and seeing the cherubim and their wings, these powerful angels, a special class of angels that are close to the Lord and very powerful. It's in the shadow of his wings where we rejoice. And so we have this protection, if you will. It's interesting to note also that it points to Christ in that Isaiah the prophet reminds us in Isaiah chapter 53 that there was nothing of beauty that would draw us to Messiah. No comeliness, if you will. And from the outside, if you could see that tapestry, there would be nothing that would be drawing us to. But from the inside, we recognize the beauty of Christ. We recognize the joy, the peace, the kindness, the goodness that Christ has brought into our lives, canceling the sin debt that each one of us owes. And those who are on the outside, they may be looking and they see this stringed piece and don't understand, but underneath, we pray that their eyes would be open so that they might see the glory of the Lord. And here's the, here's the typology, if you will, even with the colors of the fine woven linen. Blue is... In, in the scriptural text is indicative of the law and it really is indicative of the law that is being followed to the T. And Jesus is the only one who followed the law perfectly. He said, I did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law and he did. He lived 
without sin in relationship to the law that was given by God. So the blue, a picture of Christ fulfilling and following all of the law. So he is in a position. He is the one who enables us to experience the promises of God. For so many of the promises of God are based on an if-then statement. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will. It's an if-then. And the reason for you and I, the difficulty of those promises being applied to our lives, if we look strictly at the law and try and abide by the law, is because we fail miserably. Paul the Apostle, he says, according to the law, as a Pharisee, I'm perfect. Perfect on the letter of the law. The letter of the law. But then he says, then I realize the law is spiritual. It's not just the letter of the law, it's the intent of the law. That's what Jesus explained in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard that it was said, thus and so, but I tell you, thus and so. If you, the scripture says, thou shalt not murder. Hopefully everybody in this room is perfect according to the letter of the law on that one. That's a good opportunity to say amen. <laughs> Look at your neighbor strangely and say, we're okay, aren't we? But here's the scenario. Jesus qualifies that with the spirit of the law. And he says, look, if you have hatred in your heart, you're guilty of murder. Ouch. You may be sitting here and you say, well, that's okay. I, I really don't hate anybody. Well, hey, praise the Lord. Then he goes on to the next one. <laughs> and he, he clarifies. And he says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Letter of the law, free. Jesus says, well, okay, but if you've looked and had lust, you've committed. You know, if we took surveys, everyone's like, yeah, I haven't committed adultery. Come on, letter of the law. Oh, well, looking, you know, hands go down, right? And so all of a sudden we realized, man, no one can abide by. In fact, the law was given to reveal to us where we stand. Thanks be to God, Jesus came so that grace could be measured out to us. And so the blue represents that letter of the law and spirit of the law, and Jesus fulfills. And then you come to the purple. Purple represents royalty. Jesus is the king. He is king of kings and lord of lords. Can I get an amen? He is the ruler of the universe. He's king. And in our lives, he has lordship. That should also be an inspiration to us, that purple being resplendent of Christ. And the scarlet, the scarlet, which is kind of a blue and red mixed together. It creates a, I guess not really blue and red, it's just a deep red, deep red. And deep red really paints a picture, and it's twofold. It's twofold, but we'll, we'll just say for now, represents blood, represents blood. And Jesus is our blood covering. And so, pointing to Christ, if you will. Now, again, these cherubim. Cherubim are very interesting, and as we're first introduced to the cherubim in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve had sinned, they were driven from the garden. And God placed in the front of the tree of life cherubim with a flaming sword 
that would turn in all directions. To prevent men from coming to the tree of life. That which was lost in the garden, the cherubim protecting access to the tree of life. Have you noticed, it's very interesting that so many of us in our pursuit, and so many people are still in pursuit of the tree of life. We're trying to extend life while we're here. And I, we all get that, and we all want to stay, and we all... But it's this idea of the pursuit of the tree of life, and we don't have that access, except for we have eternal access through Jesus Christ, through, if you will, this tabernacle. And again, we see these cherubim that are protecting, if you will, and guarding access. And so... There is a type and a picture, and it's only, access is only, or access to that which was lost in the Garden of Eden, which is really that tree of life, eternal life, is only through Christ and Christ alone. And so, these cherubim. Well, the length of each curtain shall be the 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain, four cubits. There's some interesting things associated with even those numbers and the mathematics. If you, did, if you were interested in that stuff, if you're a student of the Word of God, I would encourage you to do so. You would find that they are multiples of the number seven and some cl- completion things associated with that, but we won't go there this morning. It says, five curtains shall be coupled to one another and five curtains shall be coupled to one another or to the other. And so you have two groupings, one grouping of five and another grouping of five. Interestingly, we are... It's described how they're laid over the tabernacle, this covering. And where the division is between the holy place and the most holy place is where those loops would come together and those gold clasps would be, right where the veil hangs. So the excess would hang over the back of the tabernacle and you'd have that whole half covering the holy place, or the most holy place, and then the other half covering the holy place. I think that's interesting to note that unity occurs right at the veil. And the scripture reminds us that Christ is the veil. And we can have unity in the Lord. It becomes one. Jesus prayed in John 17, not that we would be removed from the world, but in the world that we would be one even as he and the Father are one. And we can find perfect unity in the Lord. We can find perfect unity in Christ. I would say to every married couple here, if you find yourself in a place of contention, I would invite you to come before the throne of God and that the two of you in your relationship would yield humbly to the Lord and let God bring unity back in your marriage. Can I get an amen? We need the marriages in the church of Jesus Christ should have greater strength than those that are on the outside. It should not be that the numbers of divorce are equal to the numbers of divorce outside of the church. That far be it. There should be a difference. And we can find perfect unity in the presence of the Lord. And so encourage you in your marriage. And if it's relationships between fathers and sons, daughters and fathers, fathers or sons and moms, moms and daughters, gang, Come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. If there's turmoil in your home, I would say to every man here, lead your homes in the things of the kingdom of God. Lead your homes in righteousness and in relationship with Jesus. And watch what God will do. Watch what God will do in your homes. He can make the difference. So, 
It's interesting, too, that it's 50 loops. I would just note that in the Scripture, the year or 50 is also a number that is associated with the year of Jubilee, freedom. So you have unity where the 50 loops and the 50 loops come together and the 50 clasps that hold them. 50 also is a representation of Jubilee. The Jubilee year is the year where all debts are what? Canceled. They're canceled. How beautiful that it's at the veil, it's at Christ that all debt is canceled. Can I get an amen? It's in Christ that my sin debt has been canceled. Thanks be to God. Oh, class is almost out. Did you guys hear that little ring? <laughs> That's not true. I have another hour and a half. Canceled debt. Thanks be to God. Uh, and you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain and on the selvage of one side. Likewise, you shall do on the outer edge of the other set of curtains. Fifty loops shall you make on the one, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain and on the end of the second set, and the loops be clasped one to another. Again, that unity. The fifty clasps of gold. Gold has some interesting types associated with it. And again, I believe they point to Christ. It's interesting to note that as you move from the center out, the preciousness of the metals used is reduced, going from gold to bronze. And so there's a, there's a type there also, and we'll look at that slightly here in a moment. But it says in verse 7, you shall make curtains of goat's hair. So the first covering is that covering of linen. That tapestry look, the cherubim, the priests would see serving in the holy place. The, the high priest would see in the most holy place once a year in the, year, or in the day of atonement. Now then, the next is in verse 7, you shall make curtains of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. So this is distinguished between the 10. Now you have the 11th. 11. And he says, you shall, the length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits. The length of the preceding was 28. So gold would be revealed all the way around the skirt of the tabernacle. Now this goat's hair that's going to cover that tapestry is going to cover an additional cubit on either side. So all of the gold of the interior of the building would be now covered and unseen from the outside. It's interesting that it's goat's hair. Goats are an animal that is used for sacrifice. We're exposed to this, and certainly in the book of Leviticus, which is forthcoming, but we're first introduced to it in the burnt offering. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about what that typology for the burnt offering is. That you and I, our lives are to be like the burnt offering. And the burnt offering is distinguished from a sin offering in the book of Leviticus in that the burnt offering is completely consumed upon the altar. It certainly typifies Christ. Christ is, in fact, our burnt offering. But we, in turn become burnt offerings, that our lives would be fully consumed in the kingdom of God for the Lord. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, a favorite verse in my family, and I mean my, my, my own siblings, that God is diffusing his fragrance as our lives are being consumed, if you will. And there is a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Our lives are like living sacrifices, Paul says to the church in Rome. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your lives as living sacrifices. That's that idea of being a burnt sacrifice, that I would be consumed by the things of God. You might take a quick survey of your life and just ask yourself even now, is my life consumed with the things of God or is my life consumed with the things of Dave? Or in your case, fill your name in there. Unless you want to be consumed with some of my stuff, which I'm sure you don't. Am I consumed with the things of the Lord? Do I think the kingdom of God first? Kingdom of God first. What does the scripture say? What does Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. It's one of the keys to the kingdom of God, that we would seek first the kingdom. And it's very different. It's very different. In fact, the kingdom of God is diametrically opposed to the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world would say, look out for number one. The kingdom of God says number one has come to serve everyone very different. I remember when I was working in the steel industry, my ambition was to be the manager. I wanted to be in charge. Everybody works for me. I got to tell people what to do. In the kingdom of God, it's different. The greatest amongst you will be the servant of all. It's very different. The kingdom, it's a different mindset. Others first. Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ is a challenge to us. Kingdom. Okay, so we have this coming back to the curtain of goat's hair, this, the goat, an offering, an animal of sacrifice, if you will. There is a type, if you will, of really the atoning work, the atoning work. And we go a little further, and it says of the goat hair, 11 curtains, verse 8, the length of each curtain shall be the 30 cubits, the width of each curtain four cubits, and the 11 curtains shall have the same measurements. You shall couple the five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves, and you shall double over the sixth curtain at the forefront of the tent. Now, I won't go into the mathematics on this, but for you Bible, you students of the Word of God, there's just a couple of little interesting pieces here. And uh, I'll leave this with you to do your own further research, but this is kind of a fascinating thing. If you, took, if you took the measurements of the five sets of curtains that are 30 cubits by four cubits, and you did the math, and then you did the math for the six curtains that are all the same measurements, you would discover that it's 1,320 square cubits. But that sixth curtain is folded back on itself. And so when you do the mathematics again, you come up to a number 1,260. You would discover that that is a number that comes up in Revelation on a number of occasions, and it may be pointing to some future events. 
I would also mention to you, just for you Bible students who like to search these things out, and I know there's at least three of us here that like to do that, but I'll mention it. Uh, the tabernacle itself, I mentioned that one section of it is 30, cu- or, uh, 30 feet, which is actually 15 cubits. Did I get that right? 20 cubits, excuse me. So it's 10 cubits by 10 cubits by 20 cubits in length. If you do the math on the cubits, it's 2,000 square cubits. The, holy, the most holy place is 10 by 10 by 10 cubits, which is 1,000 square cubits. Those numbers, 2,000 and 1,000, actually have significance when you look at the timeline of humanity. Man has been around for about 6,000 years. 2,000 of those years has been the era of the church. We are anticipating a 1,000 year of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there may be some implications pointing to some future events. I'll leave that with you. You can do your own study on that. I think that's compelling. Uh, We'll go a little further. And it says, And you shall couple the five curtains by themselves in the six curtains, verse 9, and you shall double over the sixth curtain at the forefront of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is the outermost set and 50 on the edge of the second set. Again, that number 50, I think, has implications. Verse 11, And you shall make 50 bronze clasps, Bronze is an interesting metal. Bronze is a metal that can contain fire. And bronze, really as fire represents judgment, there is a picture of for those who are on the inside beneath that goat's hair, that sacrifice and atonement has been, made, has been paid for. But those looking from the outside, they see the bronze clasps holding the goat's hair and recognizing on the outside. So for the Israelites, as they are even setting up the camp and they're seeing what's happening, it's causing them to come to the place of thinking. I have to process what these mean. And I see the goat's hair and I see the bronze. And they they recognize these symbolisms. And it causes them to think and internalize and internalize. How am I doing in relationship to God? If this tabernacle represents relationship with God, how am I in relationship with God? And I would submit to you, even as we read this text and we are spending time in this study this morning, as I prayed, as we look into the law of liberty, that each one of us would come to the place of thought-provokingness. What about me? How is my relationship with God? You may be here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us in the, the Gospel of John, it says, if, if you're not in Christ, you stand condemned. But the beauty is you need not stay there. The invitation is to come. Jesus said, is anyone thirsty? Let them come unto me. Let them come unto me. Are you weary and is there burden in your life? Come to me and I will give you rest, Christ says. And we can be at rest, at peace with God in Christ Jesus. Our sin debt canceled. We can be justified in the Lord. We can know that our names are written in God's book. And we can know, we can know that we have eternal life. First John tells us, these things were written that you may know that you have eternal life. You may be here and you've committed your life to Christ. Maybe it was sometime long ago. Maybe it was recently. But you're all, you're, you're, you're thinking because the enemy is bringing doubt in your life and you're listening. You know, it's like that little comic where the devil's on one shoulder and an angel's on the other side and they're both whispering. 
And maybe the voice of the devil on the one side is a little louder, and he's creating doubt in your life, and you'd say, ah, I hope, I hope I make it. You don't need to just hope that you're going to make it. You can know that you, your sin has been atoned for. You're on the inside, beneath that offering, that sin offering, that goat offering, if you will. You can know for sure. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Come on, that's good news. That's good news. That's good news for you and I. That's good news for every single person we know, every single person we'll come into contact with this week. I had the great distinction this week of uh, working with some of our Three Trees guys. We had a project that we were working on. The Three Trees is our nonprofit uh, organization that Hillside has launched. We're working with, we're, our plan is to be working with marginalized men as they come out of the addiction program, Teen Challenge and Freedom House, and actually others, that we would work with them and be mentors throughout the week, giving them some skills and some training and also life skills. Well, I had the distinction of working with a handful of our fellows this week, and it was a great week. And uh, <clears throat> I, one, one day we had, to go, we had to go to the hardware store. We had to go somewhere. And uh, I suggested, hey, we're close to Del Taco. And I wanted to go to Del Taco. But Dan had a bad experience at Del Taco the first time he went to Del Taco. He says, can't do Del Taco. And we discovered, actually, that Taco Bell was a little closer. So we went to Taco Bell, and I was reunited with the Doritos Tacos. Anybody? Can I get an amen? Can I get... And I told the gal when I ordered him, I said, look, look, no lettuce. And I said, can you add some extra cheese? Because I need cheese, right? You can look at me and tell me that I need cheese. So they did, and they added cheese, and I was super excited. I sat down, and I, had my, I, had, uh, I only had one taco. Wait, no, I, there was two. No, there was three. Okay, there was three. <laughs> no French fries, though. And, and, I, had a, uh, and I, had a, I think I had a root beer. But anyway, uh, while we're sitting there eating, a fella comes up and says, uh, could I take time to interview you about your experience here at Taco Bell? And uh, so he was standing right next to me, so I said, I said well, absolutely. And so uh, he started to ask the first question. I said, but wait. If we give you time to interview us, you have to commit to give us time to interview you. And so he gets through his first, he said yes, he gets through his first question, then his second question. And then his third question was, you know, where are you coming from? So we said, well, we come in, we're coming from work. He says, well, what do you do? And I, I thought, well, I could say landscaping, but that would kind of be like, oh, that's secondary. I said, well, I'm a minister of the gospel. And he goes, Oh, you know, and he could see we're kind of dirty and we have our clothes on. I said, well, we're doing some landscaping stuff too, you know, blah, blah, And I said, hey, that should give you an idea about where my survey is going. <laughs> hey, and he was like a little pause and he would finish his survey. And so then we got to talk to him about faith in Christ and about his faith. And it was marvelous. It was marvelous. It was a great interaction. And he was a little hesitant when I said, do you believe in the God of the Bible? And he said, yes. I said, well, praise the Lord. I said, are you trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? And he paused for a moment. And he says, well, I'm Presbyterian. <laughs> I said, well, that didn't exactly answer the question. <laughs> However, we, went, we dialogued a little further. I didn't want to put him too much on the spot. Well, we had, a great, we had a great communication, and I think that was on Tuesday or maybe Wednesday. So... The next day we were doing landscaping and another opportunity came up. 
that we had to go somewhere. And, well, we thought, well, let's go get some food. And we thought, well, let's go back to Taco Bell because I didn't have enough tacos. And, uh, and so we prayed, oh, God, let Shane be there again. And, Shane, if you're watching, man, we love you, bro, and we're praying for you. God's blessing. And here's the thing. We prayed, God, let Shane be there. And we walked in, and Shane was already interviewing some other folks. I'm like, come on. And so I got my three tacos again and my little drink, and I sat down. And I said, Shane, we're over here if you want to interview us again. I said, I just want you to know this is the second time I've been to Taco Bell in the last four weeks. Because that was the first question. And so he came back over, and we had a marvelous greeting. And then we talked more about faith in Christ. He said, I wanted you to know that I hesitated because I didn't know where you were going with that question. He said, but I am trusting Jesus. And so we got to encourage him to pursue the Lord because he hadn't been going to church. And we just had these opportunities. And here's the thing, folks, you and I, we have the opportunity every single place we go, we carry around in these earthen vessels the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's a dying world out there that desperately needs the good news. You only have to turn on the television and watch the 5 o'clock news or Fox News or if you're CNN, which choose your poisons. But at the end of the day, did I just say that? Could you scratch that from the tape? There's bad news everywhere. But listen, you and I, we have the good news. And it's the news that can change the destiny eternally for those that we encounter. It may be the person at the gas station. It may be the person at Taco Bell. It may be. Listen, we're praying for Z. Z, if you're watching right now, we are believing God for miracles in your life. She's the one that the next day I came in, she says, oh, it's the cheese guy. <laughs> so we had dialogue, and it's good. We have the opportunity and so the tabernacle points to Jesus. And so as we come through the goats covering, we, we come to verse 14, and it says, You shall make a covering of ramskins dyed red. Ramskins dyed red. The dying of the red, again, this picture of atonement, complete covering. It's the blood of Christ. You remember the story in the book of Genesis where God called Abraham to offer his son, his only son. And Abraham and his men and his son Isaac made their way to the mount. Abraham said to his servants, Terry here, the lad and I will return. Now wait a minute. Abraham was called to offer his son, his only son. As a burnt offering, the first male. But his faith was the boy and I will return. Listen, the burnt offering would have left a pile of ashes. But Abraham knew that God would raise his son from a pile of ashes, a heap of ashes, because God would not require that sacrifice, or he would raise him from the dead and give him his son back. And so they are on their way up the hill, and his son, who Josephus indicates that he could be even as old as 28 to 30 years of age, he says, 
Dad, I see that you have the fire and I'm carrying the wood, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says prophetically, God will provide himself the sacrifice. God will provide himself. God himself will come and become the sacrifice, the ram sacrificed for the sin of the world. And so, you know the rest of the story. Abraham bound his son. You ever think about that for a moment? If his son, if his son was 12 years old, you think that Isaac could have outrun his dad? <laughs> you can do what? You can tie me up for what? No, I don't think so. But that's not what happened. In fact, if you read the account in the uh, history of the Jews, that writings, in the historical writings of the Jewish nation by Flavius Josephus in the first century, you would discover all of those things that have been transferred from generation to generation, and you read Josephus' account in the history of the Jews, or antiquity of the Jews, and you would discover the dialogue between Isaac and his father, and Isaac's willingness to lay his life down, even if only Abraham, his father, had required it of him. And so he was bound, and he laid down, and Abraham pulled out his knife to slay his son, and he was held back, and God said, Abraham, Abraham, do not Lay your hand upon your son, for now I know that you will withhold nothing from me. And as they turned, they saw a ram caught in the thicket, and God supplied, even in that moment, an offering to be a burnt offering, and then later, God becoming flesh, Jesus Christ becoming the sacrifice for the sin of the world. This ram covering, dyed in red, is a picture and a portrait of Messiah. And finally, it says, in a covering of badger skins above that. I would submit to you that the translation badger, as many commentaries would tell us, is a, probably a bad translation for that actual word. The actual word is probably porpoise or dugong, which would be like a manatee. And it is the skin of a seal, a dolphin, and or that dugong. And uh, from the outside... Again, not very attractive. We were reminded again of that scripture in Isaiah chapter 53 that there was no comeliness that would draw us to it, to him. But this would also be a covering that would actually waterproof the whole thing. So from a very practical sense, you have a sea mammal or animal that is going to have its skin taken and there is going to be a covering that would prevent it from being damaged in any uh, adverse weather. So some very practical application here as well. So the tabernacle and the tent, if you will, that covers the tabernacle. Many pictures and portraits that point to Christ. But I would say the most significant thing for you and I today is the distinction between that which is going on on the inside of the tabernacle versus that which is going on on the outside. That which is on the inside is covered and atoned for. That which is on the outside, they see those bronze clasps. And that bronze is representative of judgment. And if there's anyone in this room or in your own family that is outside of Christ for you and I to be reminded that they stand condemned. And that is why God has us here. That's, there's a reason why Christ has revealed himself to you. The reason that Christ has revealed himself to you is yes, for your salvation, but it doesn't stop there. We are part of the great commission. Can I get an amen? God has called us to make disciples of all nations. God has empowered us with his spirit. He has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our future. We know where we're going. Can I get an amen? Because we're in, but there are many that are out. 
The scripture tells us, the scripture declares that Christ came to fulfill the will of his father. He said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said, my father's been working since the beginning and I too am working. And even after his death and resurrection, he continues to work as our great high priest. Read the book of Hebrews. He now is serving in that temple, if you will, that tabernacle, that heavenly tabernacle that was not built with the hands of men. He is ever making intercession. He is our great high priest. He's working to this day. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. And he's making intercession for those who have yet to respond to the gospel. How many of those are in your realm of influence? We get the opportunity to be lights. We get to be, we get to be salt. The scripture says, look, if the salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot by men. How salty are you? How salty are you? How many of us would like to be more salty? I will tell you, I, this, true confession, true confession. I have an addiction in my life, and it is definitively salt. If there was a salt lick in my house, that's where I'd be. I'd just be... What are you doing over there, Dave? Nothing. <laughs> I just like salt. I love salt. And if you've had salty salt and non-salty salt, the non-salty salt, you're like, what's wrong with this? There's not enough. Unscrewing the cap, pouring it. That's no good. But if you've had salty salt, you only need to put a little pinch. And if the chef has used the pinch, which my wife does, well, I still salt it a little bit because I like it a little more. You just don't have to add very much. And it changes the savor. I would submit to you that if you're living your life for you, for you, your salt is not very salty. But if you're living your life for Christ, the savor of the Lord, that fragrance gets diffused. We'll close with this. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to read that scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It doesn't look like it. Maybe it's 2 Corinthians. It must be 2 Corinthians verse two, or chapter 2, verse 14. How did I get that mixed up? Yeah, here we go. 2 Corinthians. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Come on. That's good news. Who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. In every place. If my life as a censor that is burning incense, if you will, if the fragrance coming out is about Dave Morris, it's good for nothing. Because I have no power to do anything in your life. But if the fragrance that is being diffused by the consumption of my life is Jesus Christ and the knowledge of God. It has power to transform. Oh, that you and I would live that way perpetually.
We're on the inside. We're in Christ. And that those that are outside, they'd look at our life and say, there's something about your life that isn't in mine. What is it? What makes you different? Why is it that when you face difficulty, somehow you have hope? or you? How is it that you've... Dennis, his father passed away. And I went to spend a little bit of time with Dennis just yesterday. And there was joy in his life. There's joy. How is it in the midst of such tremendous grief in my own life? There's joy. There's joy. People look and they say, how is it in the midst of your conflict that you have peace? How is it in the midst of your circumstances, financial whatevers, wherever you're at, that you could, people look at you and say, how is it that you're not stressed out? Or when you're driving and that guy cuts you off, that you just wave him in and love on him. And it's not because Officer Matt Jordan's behind you. <laughs> no, it's because Jesus is in you. They want to know. Let's diffuse more of Jesus. Can I get amen? Can I get an amen? Will you stand with me this morning? And I ask just this question. You're on the inside and you know you're in Christ. You've committed your life to Christ. Your faith is in Jesus. But you recognize that when we talk and we see these symbolisms and we see these things, and there's pictures being painted for us. You say, I think the thing that I'm diffusing most right now is it's more about me. You'd say, I really want it to be more about Jesus. I want more of the Lord. And you'd say, pray for me. If that's you, just in these few moments, just say, hey, remember me in prayer. Man, I want more Jesus coming out of my life. There's, yeah, there you go, lots of us. Come on, yeah, amen. This is easy. This is easy. Father, thank you for the imagery in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. We pray, Father, today for all of us, really, God, that we would diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of God in every place in a greater measure, that there would be more shanes that we encounter this coming week. Wherever we go, whether it's someplace for food, grocery store, gas, that we would diffuse Christ. Lord, if the gas station attendant isn't running to serve and they're you know, taking that last sip of their coffee before they come over to get the car and they're kind of sauntering and we're like, come on, I'm in a hurry because I've been neglectful this morning and left the house late or whatever it is. That God, instead of revealing our flesh nature and being disappointed and talking grumpy and, or whatever it is, that we would diffuse Christ and not us. And we would bless people and not come down on. A person who we can see clearly is in a bigger hurry than we are on the freeway. We invite them into our lane instead of speeding up so they can't get over. All those kinds of things, that we would simply be kind. We would let the kindness of God flow through us in all areas, Lord. That just Christ would be revealed. And Lord, that we would also use words. I know St. Francis of Assisi said, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And Lord, we recognize that it is necessary to use words. That we would engage with people. And we would build relationships so that we can talk. Like that second day going in and Shane giving me bumping knuckles and saying, hey, good to see you, man. And then that conversation just ensued because of relationship. It had already begun. He now has our, he now has our website. He may be watching. He, Lord, there's opportunity 
for us. And Lord, may we make the most, even as Paul inspires us, make the most of every opportunity. And so, God, may we do that, living with wisdom towards those who are outside, that they might come inside. Glory be glorified. We love you. We pray again for Pastor Dennis. I pray for my own family as we have a memorial service on Wednesday and Pastor Dennis and his family on Friday. God, will you just bless and may the testimony and the wisdom of the lives that have gone to be with you would continue in their legacy, God. We love you and we praise you. We ask God your blessing and benediction this day. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said a strong amen. 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 Go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Have an amazing week in Christ. God bless you.